We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. there and thank you so much for tuning in to weird distractions podcast this is a weekly show where i your host alex rotate discussing true crime cases paranormal hotspots eerie folklore tales urban legends and conspiracy theories to provide you and more than likely what the creator of bingo may have considered a weird distraction from everyday life this week to celebrate it being the month of october aka the spookiest month of them all I'm discussing a true crime case with some very weird and creepy layers of the paranormal and lore associated with it. But before we get into that, I have a little bit of housekeeping to share before I'll fill you in on what I need a distraction from this week. If you need a distraction and you want me to read it on a future episode, please feel free to shoot me a DM or send me an email. In terms of housekeeping, just a heads up that midweek mini spooks are back. The first episode is scheduled for this Wednesday, and hey, if you're new here, hello, thanks for tuning in. Um, But if you're new and you're not sure what I'm blabbering on about, Well, Midweek Mini Spooks is a weekly series that comes out only in October to prep us all for Halloween. Every Wednesday this month, there will be a bite-sized, spooky episode to tune into. Make sure you're following the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or whatever platform you use, so that you never miss an episode. In terms of my need for distraction this week, it's pretty simple, kind of basic, if anything. I would have to say I've just been feeling very unmotivated and very blah with anything, really, whether it's working out or doing things around the house my energy has just been really low and i don't know what's going on i don't know if it's just maybe the season's changing although we are entering to my favorite season but yeah i'm not sure so my need for distraction is just low energy this week and last week i think i'm also just coming down from all the overwhelm with work lately with all the intensive training i did finish the second portion of my training which that's good thank goodness that was awful but yeah just feeling worn down and hey let me know if you're feeling it too maybe there's more than just me out there that's feeling this way i mean i'm sure there is there's gotta be i can't just be on this little weird planet with these thoughts and feelings on my own but if i am then eh. at least i'm about to tell you something that will distract not only me but maybe even you from the world around us Because this is the first episode of October, I wanted to try and cover something that had a layer of mystique and kind of eeriness to it. I know I've had a lot of true crime case-based episodes as of late, but once I learned about today's episode, which is based out of one of my favorite states, I couldn't help myself but to cover it and tell you all about it. So, to the state of Pennsylvania we go this week as I tackle the Hex Hollow murder, aka the murder of Nelson Raymeyer. Due to potential coarse language, distressing topics, and other disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. As I mentioned in the intro to this episode, there's many layers to this case. There's also a lot of different people that we're going to learn about today. So let's kick off with learning about Nelson Ray Meyer. Nelson was born within York County, Pennsylvania in the United States on October 1st of 1868 to parents Rachel and Henry. 
Nelson would live in what's now known as Stewartstown, Pennsylvania, within a two-story clapboard farmhouse, which still stands to this day. I've had to re-record the sentence twice because I kept saying farmhouse, so please enjoy that little uh, weird nugget, if you will. The area Nelson would live in would gain different names over the years, such as Hex Hollow or Ray Myers Hollow. And for geographical reference, it's almost an hour east of Gettysburg, so kind of in the south-ish portion of Pennsylvania. Nelson would go on to marry Alice Schaefer, and the two would have a daughter, Beatrice, in 1915. From what I gathered online, Nelson practiced what's called Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic. Specifically, it is referred to as powwow magic, which the word powwow was nabbed from the Algonquin language, which translates to medicine man. On top of this, it was sometimes referred to as brahim. I did look up the pronunciation for the last word, but I feel like no matter which way I say it or try to say it, I've said it wrong and I've probably cursed myself in the process. The practice seems to be this blended mixture of healing rituals, good luck, protection, or healing spells, and all to say that these were considered acceptable forms of craft in colonial Pennsylvania. Which is kind of ironic because a couple of hundred years prior to, it would have been considered witchcraft, and more than likely Nelson and others would have been burned at the stake. So, interesting. Nelson was often called a witch by some locals, whereas others called him a powwow doctor or, again, a brahim. However, Nelson wasn't the only local witch in the area to practice this Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic. Most renditions of the tale point to a woman by the name of Nellie Knoll, who was also known as the Marietta River Witch. Her name may have been Emma Knopp, according to some resources, but because I can't verify her name was actually Emma, I'm just going to take a similar suit to the other resources I came across and just refer to her as Nellie. So we've got Nelson practicing and we've got Nellie practicing. And from what I've gathered in the renditions of this case and of kind of the lore around it is that Nellie did not like Nelson. I don't know why. Maybe he was getting more customers than she was. It's really hard to say, but the consistent retelling of what happened points that Nellie did not like Nelson. And if this was 110% the case, then by the fall of 1928, Nellie had herself a little bit of an opportunity to knock Nelson out of the picture. When another man by the name of John Blymeyer came to her door believing he had been cursed. Before I get a bit ahead of myself here, let me tell you a little bit more about John, since he is an integral part of the case. John Blymeyer, similarly to Nelson, was also born in York County, Pennsylvania. However, John was born in December of 1894. According to locals that knew him, John had a history of bad luck, poor health, both physical and mental, along with the death of his son, Richard, and then his daughter, Josephine. On top of all of this, John's wife, Lily, reportedly divorced him and he would lose his job at the local cigar factory. In other words, John is seeing loss after loss after loss, or as the youths would say it, he's just seeing L's all across the board. I gathered in some resources that John actually practiced in Pennsylvania Dutch folk magic as well. However, I saw that sparsely mentioned, so I'm not really sure the accuracy of it. Take that with a grain of salt. But circling back, by 1928, 
John was struggling, and he wanted to change his bad luck. And that's when he ended up at Nellie's home. After six sessions, Nellie told John that a spell of horrible health and bad luck had, in fact, been sent out on him, which apparently had been sent out on him by none other than Nelson Raymeyer. John was reportedly shocked by this news. John and Nelson had no known bad blood prior to this. Nelson had even cured John when John was only five years old and his parents believed that he had been hexed at that point. So right off the hop, John's just hexed, cursed, perplexed, I don't even know, from, from an early age. Eventually, John gets better, thanks to Nelson in his mind, and John would even go on to work with Nelson five years later as a potato digger. And if you are trying to do math in your head, yes, he worked at the age of 10 as a potato digger. Yeah. Child laws were not a thing back in that time period. I'm sure John's brain was buzzing with questions. Why would Nelson curse me after curing me so many moons ago? And what did I have to deserve this? Seeing that John wasn't really believing what she had said, Nellie turned around and was like, hey, I will prove to you that Nelson has cursed you. In a direct quote from the Uncharted Lancaster website to kind of explain how she proved this, quote, to prove it, Noel had told John to take out a dollar bill and to stare at George Washington's photo. He did and saw Washington's face dissolve into that of Ray Myers, end quote. Apparently, this trick that Nellie had done was a way of showing people who had really cursed them. I've never heard of it before. I'm not saying that doesn't mean it never existed, but it's an interesting way. I think at some point, if you stare at something long enough, your eyes will begin to start playing tricks on you. So let's just put that in our back pocket for later. Now, believing what Nellie had to say, John wanted advice on how to break this curse his former friend turned foe had set out on him. Nellie informed John that he would need to steal Nelson's book called The Long Lost Friend and remove a piece of Nelson's hair. I'm not sure what it meant for the hair to be buried, but I will say the book that John was told to take from Nelson was apparently Nelson's spell book. Once these objects were obtained, both items would eventually need to be buried about six to eight feet underground. Out of options and wanting his series of unfortunate events to end, John set out to do just that, but he wouldn't do this alone. Sixty-year-old Nelson probably did not know what to think when John was within his home, alongside 18-year-old Wilbert Hess and 14-year-old John Curry. Nelson probably didn't know what was going on considering John Blimer, Wilbert, and John Curry entered the home with sticks and 25 feet of rope with an odd demand. John Blimeyer indicated that he wanted Nelson's book and a lock of his hair. He demanded it from the older man on that late November 1928 evening, but Nelson refused. No way in hell was he going to hand over his book, especially considering it was his spell book. To no probable surprise, given the tension that was brewing, a fight broke out. John Blymeyer allegedly choked Nelson, while John Curry smashed Nelson in the head with a block of wood. Nelson would collapse on his own kitchen floor lifeless, with later accounts noting that it was John Curry who provided the final fatal blow. Once it was discovered by the trio that Nelson was indeed dead, John Blymeyer ransacked the home, taking money and other valuables found along the way. 
but one valuable item was nowhere to be found, being the book The Long Lost Friend, aka Nelson's alleged spellbook. John Blymeyer directed Curry and Wilbert out of the home, as he then supposedly proceeded to douse Nelson's body in kerosene and light a match. John Blymeyer, along with his two young associates, fled the house as smoke began to fill the Raymeyer home. I imagine that despite not having Nelson's hair and book, John Blymeyer felt the curse had lifted. However, reports claim that Nelson's house did not necessarily burn. Rather, it just kind of smoldered for some time. Which is odd to me personally, my personal opinion here, because the house was made entirely of wood. And I don't know, I'm not a firefighter, I'm not a specialist in the flame department, but I just presume that if you light wood on fire, it's going to burn, and that's not what apparently happened in the home. And locals also thought this was odd. They actually believed that because Nelson was a powerful witch or powwow doctor, his home was somehow protected from completely burning to the ground. Nelson Raymeyer's body was discovered the following day after neighbors grew concerned over not seeing Nelson tending to his farm animals outside. It didn't take long for police to discover and apprehend John Blymeyer, Wilbert Hess, and John Curry. Some resources I came across noted that John Blymeyer was reportedly going around town telling folks that he got rid of his problems by way of getting rid of Nelson Raymeyer. And the trio also apparently left some evidence in the home, which was discovered by investigators. However, I'm not sure what this evidence was because the details weren't listed online that I could see. Regardless, the two Johns and Wilbert were set to go to trial for the murder of Nelson Raymeyer. The trial was apparently a media frenzy, which isn't really a shocker given the nature of everything. Even though there was a heavy dose of magic involved in this situation, when the case hit the courts, the judge and even the prosecution did everything they could in avoiding mentioning the word magic or witchcraft or just anything in that nature. For the trio, this may have not been in their favor. Sure, murder was bad no matter which way you spin it. However, murdering someone who is practicing witchcraft because they cursed you may have, to some members of the jury, held some favorable weight. The three were eventually found guilty of the crime. The two Johns were reportedly given life sentences, whilst Wilbert was sentenced only 10 to 20 years. Despite being free from the presumed curse Nelson had supposedly hexed him with, John Blymeyer was now cursed to live his days in a jail cell. Luck may have just been on the trio side after all, as John Curry and Wilbert Hess were paroled in 1934. John Blymeyer, on the other hand, only served 23 years of his life sentence, with reports claiming that he was actually paroled in 1953. All three men would eventually return to York County, where they would live out the rest of their lives quietly. After being paroled, John Blymeyer worked as a janitor until he retired in 1962, where he eventually died at age 72 on May 10th of 1972. Wilbert Hess, who was 18 years old when he stood side by side with John Blymeyer and John Curry that fateful November night, reportedly died in 1979 at the age of 68. Unfortunately, I couldn't find out what happened to John Curry post his parole release. 
All three men seemed to be able to move on, though. But Nelson couldn't. He was gone forever. His house continues to remain as a reminder of his life and the tragic event that seized it. According to the Atlas Obscura website, descendants of Nelson took possession of the home at some point, I'm not really sure when, and later opened the Hex House Museum to the public in 2007, where they displayed Nelson's life and gave information about his tragic demise. The house would be furnished with many of Nelson's original belongings, and a portion of the kitchen floor that Nelson died on has even been covered over with glass, forever reminding anyone who visited the home of the tragic events that took place. Visitors have even claimed that they can still see the scorch marks from the original 1928 fire, which to me, although it is a piece of history, doesn't mean it's still not eerie. From what I gathered online, the museum is not functioning anymore, but the house still stands. It's just not open to the public. If I am wrong, please let me know. I couldn't really find out when the museum closed down and details were overall just a little bit sparse in that area. Information about Nellie Knoll after Nelson Raymeyer's death was also a bit sparse. I'm not really sure if she followed along with the trial, if she had any input, if she said anything after. It wasn't really anywhere I could find easily online. That, and I couldn't figure out whatever happened to Nelson's spellbook. I don't know if maybe it was found within the home and they had it in the museum. It's, again, something I just couldn't figure out. Before I wrap up this week's distraction, I have one last spooky weird thing I want to tell you all. Given the house's history, there seems to be quite the local lore that the house is pretty haunted. To elaborate further, here's a direct quote from the Philly Ghosts website. Quote, accounts from local residents tell of shadowy figures lurking around the property when no one is there. Others state that if you throw pebbles at the home, it will throw them back at you. Disembodied voices have also been recorded in the forest surrounding the home, and a dog with red eyes, a symbol of death, has been spotted roaming the property. End quote. Is it possible that the former home of Nelson Raymeyer contains his magic, despite him being gone for almost 100 years? It's really hard to say. As usual, I'll leave that up to you to ponder on. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. I felt like this case was the perfect one to cover given the season because there's aspects of magic, we've got true crime, we've got reports of paranormal activity taking place, we've got local lore, there's just a lot going on here. With that said, it also highlights Nelson Raymeyer's life, and although it ended tragically, it's still worth discussing and learning about. Let me know your thoughts on today's episode over on the podcast social media accounts or feel free to shoot me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. 
Are you looking to rep some Weird Distractions merch? Please check out the link in today's show notes for the bonfire link. It's never a bad time to treat somebody you love or perhaps treat yourself. Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcasts at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye.